Hi, and welcome to uh, post, my post and podcast on Is It Time to Short Part 2. Um, and, you know, what we're going to do is just look at uh, markets, the conditioning, where they've come from, uh, where they could be going, and just give you an idea, or at least an intellectual frame, framework for whether you want to be showing markets here or not. Um, so, you know, the first thing we look at, uh, and, you know, one of the key ideas behind short selling uh, that has historically been very successful is the idea of mean reversion. Um, and so to make that as simple as possible, what I've done here is looked at the S&P 500, which to be honest is the market we all probably care most about. What I've done here is uh, divided by the MSCI world. Now the idea of mean reversion is you know, maybe one asset moves too far away from other assets. That creates and that as a sign of a sort of bubble type condition and then it reverts back back to the mean. That makes sense. So if we look at the S&P 500 versus the world, what you can see is, you know, it's it fluctuated relatively within a small band from sort of inception in the 70s until we got to the, the Nikkei bubble, the Japanese stock market bubble in the late 80s when the S&P underperformed MSCI world quite, quite dramatically. And then, of course, that reversed as, as, a, as the bubble economy imploded. And then we had the dot-com bubble where U.S. equities became very expensive versus the world in the late 90s, which then also unwound. And then, you know, following that type of thought or logic, where we are today, today is like the biggest bubble we've ever seen. Uh, and hence, the mean reversion of that should be extreme. And you can use that to justify a bearish U.S. equity view or bearish U.S. currency view or a bullish emerging market Europe or Japan view, if you wish. Okay. Uh, and for me, you know, that's, you know, technical, uh, which have always has some power. I've tried to combine it with some sort of macro analysis. And one of my favorite measures is looking at net international investment position. And that is driven purely by the idea is that capital flows, uh, international capital flows drive the creation and then end of bubbles. So in essence, as more money is flowing into an economy from overseas, that creates a bigger and bigger bubble. And then when that money leaves, it creates a, a crash. <clears throat> so if we look at the U.S., uh, I use the private sector because it's a little bit more interesting and tends to be a better indicator of a, a top. You can see at the top of the dot-com bubble, the U.S. private sector net international investment position went negative. Um, the problem with this analysis, as in uh, the previous chart as well, it's been sort of bearish on U.S. dollar and U.S. assets to, since 2016. And if you've uh, put that type of positioning on, you have done very, very poorly indeed. Um, and so hence, using this mean reversion analysis, which is very popular at the moment, particularly as the U.S. has started off the year so weak, uh, to me, needs a little bit more analysis to make it to make it better or stronger uh, before you can really you know, convincingly short sell on it, uh, in my view. Um, and so what I try and do is think about, okay, well, what has changed in the last 10 years and, and how can we think about that and what does that mean for markets? And so for me, the biggest change of the last 10 years uh, or even 20 years, if you like, from, from when I first started is that um, the shares outstanding on the S&P 500 has been declining. Uh, and this is in stark contrast to the dot-com dot -com bubble. At that point in the dot-com days, companies were selling shares as quickly as they could, which made a lot of sense. Stock market was very expensive, equity was expensive, and bonds had a very high yield, particularly junk bonds or corporate bonds. You, know, you could get 10, 15% if you 
against equities yielding, you know, on a PE of 30 or 40, it made absolute total sense to be selling that equity, uh, putting the money in, into cash or buying bonds or whatever. And what we've really seen, and we saw beginnings of it uh, late in the GFC, uh, and, but certainly over the last 10 years, is that, you know, shares outstanding S&P have been declining. And what that implies is that free markets do not set the price of equity uh, in the U.S. It is the corporates, it's the CEO, it's the finance department. And in, send, in essence, what they're doing is an arbitrage. They're going, okay, we can issue corporate debt at this valuation, and then our equity is much, much cheaper than this debt. Okay, we're going to issue debt to buy equity. It's that simple. And so, you know, that has, and they're motivated to do this through options, through if they found as their ownership, and this has been a very successful strategy and likely to continue because it's in everyone's incentive for it to continue. So unless you see bond yields really selling off, it's difficult to get very bearish on U.S. equities. Now, uh, that if that analysis is correct, we should be able to look at other markets and see if that's confirmed. So when we look at you know the big four markets that I, I think about anyway, the Nikkei, Eurostox, and HSCI. What we can see is Nikkei is the only one where the share count has also fallen. That's the only one that has really adopted the same sort of uh, share buyback mentality that we see in the States. And when we see, when we look at that, what we see is Nikkei is the only market that is above its 07 highs because of that. Um, now, you know, what that has meant, this sort of uh, debt for equity swap or issuing debt to buyback equity is, uh, and particularly over the last few years, is a correlation between HYG, which is a junk bond ETF, BlackRock High Yield ETF, uh, and the S&P 500 is very, very strong. So, you know, as the subtitle to the note says, if you're willing to short U- uh, U.S. corporate bonds, then you should be shorting equities as well. And you can see that that relationship continues to hold. So, you know, if you take that analysis as being correct, it looks pretty correct to me, I'll be pretty honest. Uh, you then uh, simplify you know, whether you want to be shorting here down to some very simple questions. That is whether I think corporate debt, I want to be shorting U.S. corporate debt or not. Um, so let's do the bearish argument. The bearish one is super simple. Uh, if we look at the KDP high yield daily, which gives us a sort of yield on corporate debt going back a fair, a fair way, we can see that, you know, from the 90s really until last year, you do you always demand a premium to CPI. Uh which makes sense to me because corporate debt not only uh, has to give you a, a yield, it should also be protecting you against bankruptcy and also protecting you against inflation risk. So when we look at US CPI, so 7% and the corporate debt yielding you know, four, uh, it's like a no-brainer. No, no one in their right mind would, would want to buy such debt, you would think. And so you know, showing US equities looks like a great risk-reward trade here. The problem, of course, is if we take the ECB, and it's not so long ago where the ECB uh, was considered the uh, heir to the Bundesbank and a massively uh, anti-inflation uh, hawk. Um, uh, what we see with the ECB is we have the highest inflation rate since the creation of the Eurozone, um, and yet no no signs of slowing down uh, bond buying, uh, and even not even a, not even a sign of exiting negative interest rates. Um, now. You know, of course, things can change, and that is the real point. Things can change. Maybe the central banks decide, you know what, inflation is here, we're going to change. 
And, and that is, I think, what is reflected in the markets at the moment, is that there's this fear that central banks will change. And of course, fear, because of the rise of volatility targeting and risk parity uh, strategies that are popular with some people, what you see is that when fear begins to be priced into market, it becomes self-reinforcing. So as VIX rises, which is essentially people buying more protection or whatever, uh, that causes equities to fall, which of course causes VIX to rise, so on and so forth. Uh, and you know, one of the strategies I used to really implement, or used to think was going to be uh, be a big payoff, was the idea of all the callables and breaking through barriers. Um, but what we've seen uh, repeatedly over the last few years is central banks act before those barriers get get breached. They don't trust the market for that particular reason. And so if you wanted to take a bullish views on markets, you know, the VIX as of, you know, today is about 30, 33, maybe a little bit higher. This is at levels where it has made sense to buy equities. Um, you know, certainly outside of COVID, it's rarely been higher. Um, and so, you know, this combined with ECB and the Bank of Japan doing nothing about inflation and a VIX that's relatively high, you can make a very, very easy buy case. And it's in some ways very easy to understand. I mean, if you have inflation, uh, your bond yields are yielding less than inflation. Equities have been sold off, so a discount. Uh, and so, you know, the very negative real yields combined with a high VIX and, and central bank support is your buy case. The issue, of course, is whether this inflation is going to last and whether central banks are going to act on it. Now, what is, you know, I guess the irony is that uh, central bank independence was supposed to take away a lot of these questions about whether the authorities would act on inflation or not, you know, and that was the whole idea of their independence. We now are left with this sort of sort of limbo situation where we, we have to think about, well, we have inflation, but because they've jacked up markets so much, can they afford to, can they afford the damage that would be uh, created by them exiting these strategies? And so central bank independence, which used to make life easier, now makes life a lot more complicated. Uh, for those listeners who know exactly what central banks are going to do, uh, re-inflation, again, I think inflation is here to stay, then they'll know what to do with markets. For me, I'm not that well politically connected, so I'm a little bit more cautious. But for, if, you, if you're sure or you know what's going to happen, then you know what to do. All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening and we'll talk again soon.